Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. A Life Church, so glad that you're joining us again. It's almost Christmas. And um, we're looking forward to seeing you at our Christmas Eve services. If you haven't registered yet, please do so. We have two services on December 23rd and December 24th. Now, during this Christmas season at Life Church, we're pushing into something that Jesus said about his followers. This is the statement he made about his followers. He says the following. He says, you are the light of the world. It's not our light. It's his light that's in us. But he says, if my light's in you, You are the light of the world. Look at the person next to you and tell them you are the light of the world. And he continues on. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way. And here's the command. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, so here's what we're doing in this series that we're in. We're looking into what it means to shine, to step into darkness, to live in a world filled with darkness, and to push it back with the light of Christ that's inside of us. But not in an offensive, aggressive, angry ugly way, but with love and with compassion and with wisdom and with insight that would lead people towards the goodness of God. That's what our light is supposed to do. So we've been given a command, you and I, all believers, that we're to make things better and brighter. We've been given a command that we're to drive back the darkness, the uncertainty, the chaos, the disunity, the pain, depression, anxiety, confusion, the the isolation, the anger, the greed, the lust, the jealousy, the perversion. We to drive that back because we have the light of Christ in us. Now the bad news is that we have an enemy in this world and he's committed to keeping us from shining in the way that God calls us to shine. He, He wants to keep us from shining appropriately and accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. That's his mandate. But the good news is, that's the bad news. We have good news also. In 1 John 4 verse 4, it says the following. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So today, we're going to do something. We're going to tackle a lie, a lie that I think the enemy is using in most of our lives. And it's the lie of confusion. See, what happens is, if our enemy cannot convince you that that you don't have enough, this is what we spoke about last week, Uh, remember Gideon, they didn't have enough men to to conquer an enemy of 135,000 men, but with God, you are enough. That Christ in you is enough to shine. But if the enemy can't scare you into not shining, into cowering back, then his next tactic will be to confuse you about where to shine, how to shine, and what it looks like to shine. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about it. How many of you have ever had to make a decision where it wasn't entirely clear what the right decision was? 
It wasn't, there weren't like lights beaming, lighting up the path, like an airplane landing. There, there were no landing strips guiding you. How many of you ever had to make a decision where it wasn't clear exactly what you, raise your hand. If you're sitting next to anybody um, that's watching the service with you, just say to them, I'm confused also, because it's happened to all of us. And as a pastor, I have to tell you, I spend an awful, a lot of time, sometimes I want to say confused myself, seeking for clarity. And it comes up in many different ways. Many times it is because the situation um, that I'm counseling in, the, the, the people that I'm speaking to, that I'm trying to help, that's taking place. I'm asking God in every situation for His wisdom and His insight on how to counsel them towards life. Now, during this COVID season, especially over the last two years, there's constantly been a seeking and asking God for insight. I ask God every day, God, how do I lead your body? What direction should we take as your church? It's your church, Lord. What, what things should we take a stand on? What things should we oppose and, and what things should we support? Asking and constantly seeking God's direction. I see God's direction when we get to year end now, and I want to thank everybody for faithfully giving to Life Church. Those resources that we receive as a church, I'm constantly asking God for direction on how to apply it to our ministry. God, our children's ministry is growing. Do we need to give more resources there? Our youth ministry is growing. Should we put more resources there? And as you might know or might not know, most churches have been impacted financially. We, we've had the same, where I'm asking and I'm seeking and I'm asking God, God, how do we apply the resources that you, you've given us? It's almost like sometimes I feel a little bit jealous of Moses. You know what I'm talking about? Well, some of you do. Some of you probably don't, but it's okay. I'm going to explain to you. It's like Moses, when God started speaking to him, he wasn't even in a confusing situation. He's just walking through the desert and all he's doing is he's watching sheep. And that's not complicated. Like his task is don't let them die. That's it. He's walking with them through the desert and suddenly a bush catches fire and a voice speaks out of the bush. And it says to him, hey, go there, do this clarity. Signs, wonders and miracles are going to follow you. And many times I wish I had that kind of clarity, and I'm sure you, you've asked for it also. But let me give you some insight, a little secret that I've discovered in the Bible. The clearer the communication from God, the bigger the expectation and the task. So, some examples. Moses, set the people free. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Gideon, defeat an army of 135,000 men with 300. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Oh, didn't, didn't obey God. Get swallowed by a whale. How many of you know that's God speaking clearly? Noah, build an ark. Everybody else thinks you're crazy, but Noah faithfully listened to God's instructions. And now as we get to the Christmas season, Mary, you will have a baby. And this will be the savior of the world. Joseph. 
Angel speaks to Joseph, take Mary to be your wife. She did not cheat on you. The child that she is carrying is the son of the most holy God. Disciples hiding in the upper room after Jesus died and boom, Jesus walks through the wall and speaks to them and gives them instruction and the church and Christianity is birthed. Paul, <laughs> on his way to persecute and kill Christians, Jesus shows up to him, blinding light speaks to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Big examples, big expectations. But I have to be honest, I am constantly asking for God to say, hey God, there's a bush. There's a bush right there. Go ahead, set it on fire. Talk, I'm listening. No, okay. Okay, God, I know that you've used donkeys. Balaam, there was a donkey that you used and the animal spoke and you gave a message to him. I don't have a donkey, but I've got other animals. You could use those. Could you do that? No. Okay. And so there's this constant search for clarity that I find myself in. And I'm convinced most of you are also finding yourself in. There's clarity in the midst of, we searching for clarity in the midst of our confusion. And I think most of us experience that and maybe you are dealing with that today also. Maybe you're listening to this message and you're trying to decide about a job opportunity that, that you've been given um, and you're like, do I take it? Do I not take it? It could be good and it might not be good. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Um, I have to leave so many things behind. People who are like family to me, I have to leave behind. Or maybe you're looking for a job and it's just not materializing. You're thinking, well, maybe I'm looking at the wrong place. Maybe I should look elsewhere. Maybe I need to look in, into another career, into another field. Or maybe I need to look out of province, out of country. Think about going somewhere else. Or maybe I need to go back to school and retrain myself. Maybe, maybe I should do that. And I know these are questions that's going on in our minds. Maybe you're struggling through something uh, with your health. And from a health perspective, you're like, do I need to go to another specialist? Should I get another opinion? Should I just follow the doctor's instructions? Or do I try this new drug that they're offering? Or maybe some of you are asking something. Do I say yes because they've asked me out? Do I say no? Confusion. There's confusion everywhere and we want clarity. What I found about confusion is confusion can leave us kind of paralyzed and unable to move forward. Have you ever experienced that when you're not clear about the next step, that you just do nothing? And especially today, when there's so much confusion and, and contradicting messages out there, here's the reality. Every time that we have limited resources and multiple options, we have confusion. Limited resources whatever, it could be time or money or energy or any number of things, we always have limited resources. Limited resources plus multiple options equals confusion. So how do we get clarity is a question that I would like to answer or attempt to answer today. What I want to share with you today is something that I, I've come to understand about clarity. And where clarity ultimately comes from. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 starting in verse 1. A story 
that for some of you will be very familiar. You will know this. Um, most of us will know this fairly well because of Christmas. And Christmas happens every year when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it reads the following. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from um, came, um, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where's the one who's been born, the king of the Jews? We saw the star when it rose and we've come to worship him. So what we have here is you have a group of guys. You might know them as the wise men, as the three kings. Matthew says they're Magi, that they, they have some clarity. These Magi, these these men that Matthew is talking about, these men, Matthew says, they have some clarity. They know that a child has been born. Something is cleared up for them. They know the child is a king. They know this also. They know that he's supposed to be the king of Israel. So they have some really clear clarity. What's not so clear is how they came about the clarity because they're from the east. I mean, all we're, we're told is, is that they saw a star from the east. And, and so they said, oh, now we know. We saw a star and because we saw the star, now we know he's been born. And he's the king of the Jews. And they knew where to go. So how did they know that? And that's, that's a good question to ask. How did the Magi know about a Jewish birth of a baby in Jerusalem, far from where they were, and they followed it for two years. Here's what we know. We know that they came from the east. Things that we know. We know they came from the east. We also know that the word magi is a Persian word. It means magician. It means enchanter. So these magi, these men, they practiced all kinds of occult arts fortune telling, they would read tea leaves, they would often toss intestines of animals onto plates and depending on how they fell, they would read the intestines. And I know some of you are thinking like, this is a great Christmas message already, but, but let's continue on. And what they would do is they would read, read these intestines for signs and the idea was they were in touch with gods and the spirits and they knew the ancient scrolls. And so they were advisors to kings and they practiced. And of course, astrology was part of that also. They were connected with astrology, reading the sky and understanding its significance. So magi is a Persian world, a word, and Persia is from the east. There's a very good chance that that's where they came from. And it's interesting, there's only one other place in the Bible where we actually find the word magi. And that's all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel's story. Daniel is a story about a Jewish man named Daniel. You got it. Of course, and a few of his friends that were captured by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And he captured them and he brought them to Babylon, um, which eventually became Persia. So... It's from that part of the world where these magis were from. And Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel and his friends, um, because of a, a few things that happened, they became part of the king's advisory council. 
They were part of a group of people which included a group of people known as the Magi. Now, it's interesting that Daniel and the Magi, they did not get along originally. They didn't get along at all. The Magi actually a few times tried to kill Daniel's friends, and they were also the ones that caused Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. So we see conflict throughout the book of Daniel until something interesting happened. One day, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he had some ability to recognize that this dream wasn't just a regular dream because I had some pizza, you know, bad dream. He realized that there was something more to this dream. There's something going on spiritually. And so he called in the Magi and he said to them, he didn't call, Daniel wasn't part of the, the top group of Magi. He just called the Magi's in. And he said, hey, I had a dream and I really want you to interpret this dream for me. And he said, uh, and they said, sure, yeah, we'd gladly do that for you. Tell us the dream. And he went, no, 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 that's not how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to do it. You are going to tell me the dream. And they're like, well, no, 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 no. You tell us the dream and then we interpret it for you. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to tell me the dream. And they said, but we don't do that. You tell us the dream and we interpret. And he said, no. You've been claiming all these years that you have all these magical powers, that you're in touch with the gods and with the spirits, and you have this incredible insight. So it would seem to me that knowing the content of the dream should be pretty easy compared to knowing its significance. So how about you tell me once you get in touch with the gods and with your spiritual supernatural sources, when you get in touch with them, you tell me what the dream was, then I can believe your interpretation also. And they went, well, we can't do that. And he went, okay, you die. And that was basically it. He said, you've been conspiring all these years to tell me that you have insight and ability, but you don't, so you will all die. And the soldiers went out to do that, went out to kill all of them. And when they came to Daniel, Daniel was considered among the Magi from their perspective, Daniel was a wise man. And Daniel went, hey, hold up, what's going on? I don't even know what's going on right now. And they told him the situation and he asked for time. He said, King, please give me time. Let me go pray to God for insight. And God gave him insight. God told him what the dream was. So Daniel went back to the king and he said, God has given me the answer. And he, he tells Nebuchadnezzar his dream and Nebuchadnezzar goes, that's it. Now, what does this mean? And then Daniel interprets the dream for him also. Now, at this moment, you have to understand the Magi's feelings towards Daniel completely changed because they were about to be executed, killed. But because at that moment, when Daniel got the revelation of the dream and the interpretation, Daniel not only saved himself, he ended up saving all the king's advisors all of the Magi. And so they became a little bit more friendly from that point forward. The Magi respected Daniel and they also began to respect Daniel's God, the God of Israel, the true God. And along with that, they began to respect the scriptures that Daniel had brought with him from Israel, the holy books of God, God's word, as Daniel had it in that moment. He didn't have all of it, but what he had, which means that from that moment on, Daniel and the God of Daniel 
the God of Israel, and his scriptures were respected amongst the Magi in Persia. And so, about 600 years later, as we join the story in Matthew, we find the Magi, they were familiar with something that was said in those scriptures. Something that comes up in Matthew actually comes from Numbers 24 verse 17 and it says, A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Egypt. This is an Old Testament prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, where, where you have a scepter, which is a symbol for a king and a star that is connected with it. So when the Magi said, we saw his star, what they're almost certainly doing is they're going, hey, we know about this prophecy from God's word, and now we've seen it, and we're looking for the one that the prophecy is talking about. In other words, their clarity that the Magi had depended upon their familiarity with the scriptures. Now, how is it that they know that that particular light in the sky was the star? We don't know that. The Bible doesn't give us any information regarding that. We're not really told anything about what the star was. We don't even know, really, some people think that it was a conjunction of planets that aligned. And some people think it might have been a supernova. And some people think it might have been a comet. Um, I think it was a star, but we don't really know. We know, what we do know is we know that they knew the scriptures. They saw that star and they went, there it is. And so they had clarity, and because they had clarity, they were willing to go on a two-year trip looking for the results of what the star was proclaiming. Matthew says that they asked, where is he? Where is he that is born, the king of the Jews? Where is he? But literally in the Hebrew, this is actually such an um, amazing picture to, to formulate in your mind. In the Hebrew, it says they were asking, and, and it's a verb that implies that it was an ongoing over and over and over and over again asking. In other words, they, they were like walking around in Jerusalem and they grabbed the first person they got and they saw him and they said, hey, where is he? We saw the star. Where, is he really here? Where is he? Oh, you don't know. Hey, hey, you, where is he? Do you know about him? Do you know where he is? Hey, lady, how about you? And she, like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he didn't know what he was talking about. And they went around and nobody seemed to know. And people started talking about these guys who were asking these questions, which eventually came to Herod's attention. It wasn't just the Magi showed up at the temple and Herod heard from them directly. It was because of the commotion that they created in their asking because of the clarity that they had that a Savior was born. It says, now when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. I'm convinced they basically walked through the whole of Jerusalem and asked all of them. It says, and when he had called together all the people's, all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law. So this is Herod. He was disturbed. Then he called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, 
By no means are you least amongst the rulers of, Ju of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's from the book of Micah. Micah 5 verse 2 to be precisely. So it's interesting. Clarity has come again. Clarity has come from where? It's from God's word. It's from the scriptures. It's interesting. None of the people knew where the Messiah was to be born, who they were asking in the streets of Jerusalem. Like the Magi's were asking everybody, where is he? None of the people knew because they didn't know the scripture. Only the chief priests and the teachers of the law knew. They were the only ones who had the writings that could read them. And you might go, well, wait a minute. If the Magi knew about Numbers 24, 17, why didn't they know about Micah? And the answer is fairly simple. When Daniel went to Babylon, Micah, the prophetic word of Micah had not been written yet. So by the time they show up in Jerusalem, Micah has been written and God has revealed more regarding the birth of his son. So that's how they knew and that's how they got clarity. Again, the clarity that they received came from God's word. Because this is one important point to understand. God's word brings clarity. Why is that? Well, partly it's because God himself has clarity. It's like asking somebody who's standing in a fog to lead you out of it. They can't. They're in a fog also. Asking someone who's in the car with you while you are lost and you have no GPS or signal to give you directions out of there. They can't. Because they're also lost. But God has a, a perfect perspective and he sees everything with absolute perfect clarity. In the book of Hebrews 4.13, it, it, it describes God this way. It says, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. He sees it all. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He sees everything. God sees, in his word, God sees everything. Not only everything that, that happens in the world. He sees the past. He sees the present. He sees the future. He sees everything that's happening in the human heart. We can't hide anything from him. But he also continues and he communicates through his word to us. It goes on in Hebrews 4.12. It says, the word of God is alive and it's active. It's not just a dead thing. It's not just information. It's a living thing that is accomplishing God's purposes. He says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any two double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. God's word brings clarity to his people. Nothing is hidden from whatever you are thinking, whatever you are wondering regarding the person that you might be in love with, or trust that God knows what's going on in their hearts. God knows what's going on in their thinkings, the possibilities, the options that's in front of you. God knows people's thoughts, the business direction, the success of the business in the future, that you might not get the job that you're exactly looking for, but God knows that that job, the one that you thought was the right one, God knows where that business is going. He knows the people who are working there. He also knows where he wants you to shine your light. 
because he knows all things. So, God's word gives us clarity. God's word brings clarity. And it was true for the Magi. And it's true for me, and it's true for you. God's word brings clarity. So they were given clarity again. And Herod knows now, and it says in Matthew 2 verse 4, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And they sent them, Herod sent the Magi to Bethlehem. And he said, and by the way, when you listen to Herod's voice or what he's saying here, I want you to imagine Herod's voice. Think of, of a voice that is the most sinister, sinister voice that you can imagine. Uh, like, like Darth Vader. Like an evil guy. This is who Herod is. Herod was not a good king. He was an evil, evil man. So, so he goes and he says, go. Go and search carefully for the child. I cannot do evil voices. I don't, my tone is too high. It sounds weird. He says, go, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. You're a liar, Herod. That's a complete lie. You're not going to, you want to kill him because you want to remain king. So there's something else going on here. It says, and after they, they heard the king, they went out on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And the word overjoyed here literally means in the Greek that they rejoiced exceedingly. Great joy. In other words, they partied hard. They were so excited. It wasn't a quiet, okay, let's quiet. They were so excited because they are finally at the place completing their two-year journey. And, coming, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Now, and coming to the house, that's another interesting, and interesting uh, sentence there. And if I, I've had people pick up on that, and I've had people comment to me saying, you know, the Bible is so contradictory. Because it says uh, Jesus was born in a manger, but then it says the Magi came to a house. Luke says that on the night that he was born, he was born in a barn in a manger. And here in Matthew it says the Magi, they come and he is in a house. So which is it? This is what people say. How can we trust God's word when it's so contradicting itself? Yeah, except it doesn't. Because here's the thing, Luke in the gospel describes where Jesus was the night that he was born on Christmas Eve. Matthew is talking about something later. It's been a while. Well, we, we know, and this is the, the thing that is so important for us to bring clarity to the Christmas story. We know that the Magi didn't show up at Jesus' um, house the night he was born. He, they were there two years later. And that's what is so confusing because we see some of the Christmas scenes. Um, and tradition, tradition has it that the Magi was there um, and you know they were bowing next to the horse and the donkey and the mule and the llama and the Magi was there the night Jesus. It, that's not true. Um, I just, 
I'm not making fun of our traditions, but the reality is that tradition doesn't always tell the truth. But in this particular case, it's told us something that is definitely not true. You have your nativity scenes at home, and most of our nativity scenes, we have some shepherds, accurate, stable, accurate, barn, stable, accurate, uh, a manger, accurate. There might have been some animals, but the magi were definitely not there. And I'm going to say again, I, I know this pokes some, some um holds in our tradition of how we set up our, our nativity scene. But sometimes tradition clouds what God's word makes clear. I hope you hear me when you're listening to this. Tradition is not a bad thing. I am all for tradition, but it's no substitute for God's word. And we always have to check. Check our traditions against God's word because we've all been taught some things by tradition that aren't necessarily the truth. Like this, I was told this. I was convinced growing up that cleanliness is next to godliness and that that saying was in the Bible. It's not. It's just a good thing to be clean. So we three kings of Orient are, no, you're not. You're not kings. You're advisors to kings. Maybe, maybe um, we said kings because we were uncomfortable with the idea that they were pagan occultists. Maybe that's why we called them kings. So if we're going to call them kings, they were not kings. We're not going to call them that. They were wise men because that's, for us, probably better to say magicians or astrologers or enchanters or intestine readers. It's probably better just to say magi. And I know it's uncomfortable for us and for us to, to think of, of intestine readers of people that's following God's word, but they definitely had some clarity, which I think all of us are hungry for. So it goes on, it says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. Up to this point, all their clarity has come from their familiarity with God's word. And here for the first time, their clarity comes from a dream. It's still God's word. God speaks to them, but it's a dream. And my question is, how did they know that it was God? They knew that it was God in the dream because they knew something about who he was because they were already familiar with his word. They knew the sound of his voice from their familiarity with his word. Listen, our ability to recognize God's, God's voice, it begins with our familiarity with his word. I believe that God continues to speak today to you and to me in a variety of ways. I do think he ab absolutely speaks first and foremost through his word, through the Bible. But I do think that God speaks in other ways. He speaks through dreams. God speaks through prophecies. God speaks through words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of insight. I think God speaks through advice from others. I think God speaks through open doors and closed doors and circumstances and the people he brings around us to speak. But of course, we run into that confusion because how do we know when it is God? How do we know when it's a voice we should listen to? And the answer is this. The answer is that clarity begins with familiarity with God's word. I want you to say that to yourself. Clarity begins with the familiarity with God's word. 
That's where we first learn God's voice and begin to develop the ability to recognize. In other words, because of the reality is not every dream is from God. Not every opportunity is an open door that God wants us to go through. We have unprecedented access, people, all of us, to God's word. And yet, on some level, I do wonder if, in fact, we're actually less familiar with God's word today than the people in the past. I'm convinced we are less familiar. But you know how the law of economics works, right? If there's a whole lot of something, it gets less valuable. If there's a little of something, it's really valuable. And, and so, so back in the past, they had little access to the word. So they put a tremendous amount of value on having access to God's word. So, so if you want to get familiar with God's word, I'm going to give you some, some shattering advice. Become familiar with his voice. If you want, want that, if you want to find clarity, here's what has to happen. You have to read it. You have to read God's word. I'm going to give you three more things really quickly. Number one, reading the Bible clarifies a lot of things. Just reading it is going to clarify a lot of questions that we have. Questions like, how can I be a good husband? What's, what's his plans for me? Uh, what does it mean to be a good father? What does it mean to love my husband and my kids, be a good mom. What does it mean to be a good parent? What does it mean to be a good employer or a good employee? What does it mean to be careful and wise with my finances? What does it mean to think about myself as a citizen and engage with politics appropriately? I mean, a lot of that is clarified directly by teachings from God's word. It clarifies a lot of things. If we only read it, read your Bible. The second thing that happens is this, reading the Bible familiarizes us with God's voice. We can begin to recognize His voice. Somebody could be speaking in a crowd or a conference or wherever, and you hear, it's not the tone of His voice, it's the message that comes out, and you can recognize in your heart, that is not my God. I mean, what He sounds like. We can recognize God's heart. We begin to pick that up. I can walk into any crowded room with all of kinds of conversations happening at the same time and I can find Ermery within minutes, moments. Not because she has an irritating voice that stands out, but because that's the voice I know and the voice I love and the voice I am familiar with. The more time we spend with God's word, the more familiar we can become with God's voice. And the third thing, we're finishing with this. Third thing that will happen is reading the Bible, reading God's word changes us, you and me. Reading the Bible does not, it doesn't change other people. It does something in us. It polishes our lens. It wipes away dirt that we can see clearly. It changes us from the inside out where our desires and wants were wrong, our motivations, our intentions were wrong. Now, because of God's word, we start to align ourselves with God's ways. Isaiah wrote this, it's, and it's beautiful. He says, as for the rain and the snow, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and they do not return, to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and the bread for the eater. So is the word of God. 
In the same way, he says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purposes for which I have sent it. Why is this so important? It's important for us to shine appropriately because without clarity, we can't shine clearly God's love and God's heart. We are to be the light. We are to shine and show forth His good works. And because of Jesus, because of Jesus, now we celebrate Christ's birth and we can glorify Him. We can glorify Him appropriately. Our light should bring clarity, not anger or violence or division or confusion. I am asking you, join us this Christmas. Let's shine this Christmas the way that God intended for us to shine. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We're so thankful for your word and that your word brings clarity for our decisions, for our lives, for where we're going, for how we should live, for who we are. And I pray, Father, that the clarity that we receive from your word won't just be something that we hear, but it'll be something that we apply to our lives. We're thankful for your leading. We pray a blessing over everybody that's listened to this message. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. Have a wonderful Christmas. Remember, sign up for Christmas Eve service, December 23rd and 24th. You can go to our website, thisislifechurch.com. Have a wonderful Sunday. Goodbye. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.